you know, I spend a lot of time these days thinking about suffering, which is kind of gloomy to say. But as I work through all the conversations I've had on this show, over 200 now, it's just what I keep coming back to. I mean, we live in a world where it is almost all, if not all, a mystery. Like, if you dig deep enough, nothing really makes sense, (laughs) at least in, like, the traditional logical sense of it. The only thing that seems real is pleasure and suffering, right? Like, we know logically, we know viscerally, we know emotionally, we know intuitively the feelings of pleasure and suffering. And this has kind of led me to a conclusion that maybe the only concrete value to consider is one that tries to reduce unnecessary suffering. That's the thing that should be guiding us in life. Because it's the only thing, the only thing that feels real. I mean, there's, there's just far too many instances of unnecessary suffering in our world. And it feels like we should be actively trying to reduce it however we can. There's nothing more important than that, perhaps. And that's why this conversation with Jake came at exactly the right time. And, and, and really is a perfect way to cap off the first season of What's the Value? Because Jake's writing a book right now called The Art of Suffering, a guide to deriving beauty from life's inevitable pain. Jake believes that life is a great mystery, and the best thing we can do is engage that mystery in what he calls a congruent way. Um, he believes since we live in kind of unavoidable subjective blindness, right, again, that mystery, the closest thing to objective truth is being congruent. Or, or being free of internal contradictions. So said another way, Jake approaches life by kind of diving headfirst into the mystery of it with full acknowledgement that everything he thinks, feels, believes is ultimately outside of his control. So he doesn't try and control it. He doesn't try to master it. He doesn't try and challenge it. Instead, he kind of surrenders to the greater intelligence that is the universe and goes along for the ride, trying to learn and experience as much as he can along the way. Now, the natural cynic in me spent a lot of time trying to question Jake about this kind of Buddhist-like approach. I wanted to understand, given what I said in the beginning of this, how, how can we surrender to a universe when the universe has generated so much horrific suffering? How can we surrender to something that has not given us a solid reason to trust it? And I wouldn't even try and summarize the conversation Jake and I had around all that, which was, which was really, really good. But maybe the most notable takeaway for me was how Jake kept holding the mirror back up to me. How all of these thoughts about needing to minimize suffering and that being the true meaning of life likely just says more about me, how I was raised, my lived experiences, my genetic makeup, than it does about the people out there actually suffering or the universe as a whole. And (laughs) much as all of these 200 conversations have led to, there's not clear answers to this, but hearing perspectives from people as thoughtful um, as somebody like Jake and all the other guests I've had has just been invaluable for me to try and make sense of this thing and I guess ultimately to try and understand myself better. So big thanks to Jake. And with that, let's get to the last episode of season one of What's the Value? All right, Jake, thanks so much for being here, man. Real psyched to talk to you today. I'm excited to jump into it. So I will with the question of what's the value that's most important to you. Yeah. um, So over the last like 48 hours, because I wanted to add a lot of value, right? But, and my answer is going to seem a little weird, but Mm -hmm. we're going to go down a lovely path. Yeah, I like it. So if I had to give you like a one word answer for what my value is, I would say it's congruence. Congruence. And like another way of saying that would be something that is free of internal contradiction. And, um, you know, I have a whole I have a whole mountain here to go through. Uh, So when it comes to why congruence is valuable, I think it has a lot to do with the inherent and unavoidable subjective blindness that we all kind of find ourselves to be in. Um, 
a byproduct, in my opinion, of that blindness is it changes the way that we have to relate to the idea of what is objectively true. Mm. And it's not because I'm against the idea of objective truth. Mm. You know, I think in many ways, a lot of what we find subjectively to be true is seemingly trying to mold itself around something that is more objective. Hence mm. why we can get like the wrong answer to a question, for example. But I think the fundamental observation here is that even if we were to know objective truth, like let's say we got it, we wouldn't be able to know that we got it. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, like as a concept, it's really fun, but as like a practical use of that concept, we hit a natural boundary with our inherent blindness and our inherent subjectivity. And as far as I can tell, the next, the next be best metric of value to assess the idea of maybe what is objectively true or what is true is whether or not something is free of internal contradiction or congruent. Um, and we do this all the time, you know, like right now you and your listeners are ideally listening to what I have to say and engaging how congruent is what I'm saying. How much does it free from internal contradiction from what they already feel and what they already know? Um, and so in this way, congruence is like a candle in the dark, mm. you know, it gives us a metric with which that we can look around at this, you know, miraculous and absurd mystery mm. and gauge some measure of understanding even though it always is incomplete and always is steeped in mystery and never pure objective truth congruence allows us to build something that has the widest net of explanation or the widest um accounting for phenomena mm. that i believe that any of us can do and we all do this across so many different ontologies all the time like you can analyze this conversation from a technical basis you know talking about the actual hardware and software Right. Or you could analyze it from a more sociological basis about humans connecting, or you could do it on a more biological one. I mean, you, you can you can choose whatever ontology you want, but all of these ontologies, all within themselves and often overlap and connect, are all valuing what is congruent. Mm. And like, look at science, like when things are found to be incongruent, that's really exciting because that is now where to focus. Where is the, you know, hiccup, if you will, in our otherwise free from internal contradiction model? And this is my last little section. Yeah. The, the beauty of it is, is that when you really start to apply this, it, it manifests in every area of your life because all ontologies are A, necessarily steeped in mystery. And there's nothing that we can do to avoid that. And B, because it's necessarily steeped in mystery, it has a boundary of sorts that you can use congruence to expand your horizon of understanding mm -hmm. given some ontology. And so I think congruence is extremely powerful to value because of that. I like I like the word and I'm excited to dive into it because it is, yeah, is yeah, the yeah. first time it's come up on this. Let me let me ask about another word that you use to explain it, which may seem like a sure. silly question, but I think it's important to kind of set the framing mm -hmm. here. The internal contradictions, the contradiction word. What yeah. what do you mean by that? And again, I, I obviously there's an intuitive sense of what you mean, but what does that yeah. what does that look like? What's a contradiction? What's an example, maybe, or how do you define it? Yeah, great question. I love that. Um, so we all know people, and also included a lot of the times, that you know, we may know one thing but feel another mm. and that can be a form of a contradiction a contradiction is simply anything that doesn't agree right and so this happens all the time and it happens all the time because everything is necessarily steeped in mystery like we can use an ontology to expand and understand some section of something which mm. let's say cooking mm. right but there's a natural boundary to what we understand like you know for example i can say like why do eggs cook and then you'd be like oh well there's heat and then I'm like, well, what does that mean? And then you can keep like walking down that stair step. And eventually you're going to hit a point where you don't know. And 
to me at least, contradictions are kinks in that smooth chain of explanation that if you go, you know, from way A to way B, as you go to way A, you may arrive up here, but as you go from way B, you arrive down here. That is like a contradiction, even, mm. even if you're going to the same place. Um, so it's a great question. I don't know if I have like a, a crisp, succinct answer for what a contradiction well, let me, is. Let me use your example of, of the sure. cooking. Would, would a contradiction be, so So I'm cooking eggs, right? Well, all right, yeah. why do eggs cook? I have to heat the eggs. Would the contradiction be where my knowledge gap steps in where I no longer have the information or is it in the truth in the more traditional sense of the word contradiction where I I believe something that seems not to be true based on some other piece of information you know what I mean like what, what would it be in the yeah so it's example? more the second but the first can be a great spotlight as to where to find where the second is okay. so it's all yeah to me contradictions are just like you know if a equals b and b equals c saying a is unequal to c okay in the right. traditional sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so the exactly. reason I asked that is maybe I'll go real macro right out the gate. Yeah, um, sure, sure. Because I think you and I think very similarly, right? Like we, there's this this acceptance of the blindness, the subjectivity that the world is, that we don't have answers, right? And and very much as you just said with that cooking scenario, when you follow the thread, I, I often think like you can keep following that thread and you'll get to the big bang eventually. And then you'll mm -hmm. get to like, well, what? Mm -hmm. so if at the greatest of scales, we don't have that answer. Mm -hmm. isn't everything a contradiction like isn't ever, like is there ever true congruence because we don't have the most fundamental answers so how do we yes. ever live in congruence yeah yeah exactly so you're totally right and that's why like when i was thinking about this because i was thinking originally i was going to tell you what my what my value was was engaging the mystery mm. and it's literally because you know if you use this tool of congruence and you use it well you, you forge out an understanding of a whole bunch of ontologies or, or, or like when i say ontology i mean like meaning making machine you know, right. like we all kind of have a meta one, if you will, that subdivides into different categories of expertise, perhaps, you know, based off maybe education or intuition or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that that meta one, if you apply congruence throughout them all, you find that everything that you understand is necessarily steeped in that mystery and is unexplainable past a per certain point. And a lot of people have a really negative relationship with that mystery. And that because the mystery does house, if you will, all of our ontological experience, all of our experience, period. Uh, if you have a negative relationship with that mystery or if you foster a negative relationship with that mystery, whether that be more subconscious or consciously, mm -hmm. that's going to be the first like filter or lens from which everything that you perceive and understand um, gets toxified, if you will. It gets inoculated mm -hmm. with negativity because you've developed this this negative relationship with the unknown. And I think the only way, at least for me, that I've been able to really warp my relationship with the unknown into a positive one is by valuing congruence. So getting myself as open and clear to that maybe reality isn't the way that I initially analyzed it to be as I can, uh, which in turn, you know, is humbling, but that's, it's a great, it's great to be humble because once mm -hmm. you're humbled, you're open. And once you're open, you can begin to engage the mystery, which is again, mm -hmm. what my initial response was going to be in a way where you keep mining more emotional affect from it. So I, I know I'm going on a long roundabout no, answer, but no, I, want to I get it. So what I mean by the emotional affect part, you know, we all have like, let's say different uh, areas of education. So let's say I'm a Mason and as a Mason, I'm going to be able to look at, you know, let's say a chimney or like, you know, what's behind me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be able to derive more enjoyment, more emotional affect of, of it as a byproduct of my education. My education allows me to penetrate what I'm observing. You know, that penetration and that emotional affect is my, I guess you can call it like human value. I like feeling. I like feeling awe. I like feeling gratitude. I like feeling wonder. I like feeling happy. And you can 
practice feeling all those things as a byproduct of educating yourself in ways that allows you to penetrate the observed phenomena of your life, right, to a deeper and deeper extent. The way that you get deeper is through congruence. And when it comes to engaging the mystery, which is a humbling thing, right, because you have to necessarily recognize the boundary of what I understand and be happy with it, you can have a frame shift when you go from negative to positive where no longer is it, you know, a, a, a source of uh, existential, like, angst that you don't understand anything but now it's thank god i don't understand anything because i love learning i love that precipice of being like oh this is this how this connects and this is how this connects and stuff like that and when you can shift and observe the game that way you begin to change a lot of your initial reactions to seemingly unknown things like you break your leg or you know you run into somebody that maybe you didn't want to see or whatever like you can start to maybe warp the lens of your perspective to see more beauty in that scenario which in turn, and I'm sorry, I'm very long-winded. No, uh, I like it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you uh, conceptualize suffering as resistance, you know, when you resist the presence of the unknown, you're suffering to some extent. And if you want to change that resistance to embracement, you have to find elements of that unknown to then embrace, which for mm. me has dominantly been beauty. And the way that I get beauty is through that education. And the way that I get the depth that the education affords me is through the congruence, which is why, again, I chose the congruent answer. All right, let me play that back to you. In, yeah. in, in how I'm hearing it to make sure and then yeah. and then some questions yeah. on it. So we, we live in a mystery, in effect, right? This is where you started. We're blind, subjectivity, all that stuff. The goal is to engage that mystery in the most effective way. The most effective way you found to engage that mystery is through this concept of congruence, that value of congruence. It allows you to engage the mystery. The reason you want to engage the mystery, the reason why that's the right thing to do is our human nature, our biology, whatever it is, gears us towards wanting to feel let's just call it feeling good right and whatever that is whether it be joy yeah, right, pleasure right, and, right, and right. understanding masonry you know whatever it might be gratitude person to person person to person right to get the optimal good if you will like the way you do that is by engaging the mystery in this congruent driven way in this positive way where you're actually it allows you to to understand the world to look at the world to experience the world in a much deeper richer way which adds more of that goodness which is ultimately kind of what you're working towards. And and for you, beauty is that goodness. It allows you to appreciate yeah. and see beauty more. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I buy it. All right. So let me ask some questions about this. So let me stay on the thread for a second about the, yeah, the yeah, macro yeah. piece. Enjoy, of it. enjoy. So you said part of in that thread, you being able to be humbled and to say, I don't know this, therefore I want to learn it. I'm going to engage the mystery and try and learn what I can. There is a there is like a, a philosophical school of thought, a very popular one, obviously, which is like, but we can never really know anything. So this whole idea of learning, engaging the mystery in the way to learn is kind of an illusion that we create, right? Even when we think we have knowledge, we don't really, because again, that fundamental piece of it is we don't know yeah. why we're here. We don't know why the universe is here. How do you think about that? Like when you say you learn things and therefore that increases your goodness, like what does that mean? Make that Make that more real for me. Yeah. So, you know, a musician can't play all music. They never will. And they ne never will for two reasons. One, they, they don't have like the time, right? They're never going to be able to play all of the written music mm -hmm. that has been written up until the point of whatever, you know. But another one is that they, there's an infinite amount of music past that, yeah. you know, that maybe hasn't been created yet or their instruments don't exist yet or whatever that they also won't be able to play. But the musician doesn't play the music with the underlying objective of playing all the music it's a it's a form for the musician of expression and mm -hmm. that expression comes with emotional affect etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Um, so, you know, when it comes to knowing, right, you're right, you're totally right. We're never going to know anything. But I think the beauty of exploration or curiosity of pushing the boundary of, you know, where you believe that you understand isn't for the end sake of understanding, which you'll never achieve. Mm -hmm. It's it's for the end state of having that additional penetration mm. or way of analysis that you can then take <clears throat> to some observed or experienced phenomena that allows you to refine how much emotional affect that you can have inspired from that phenomenon. Um, you know, so for this conversation, for example, like, you know, we both really value philosophy, it seems, and, and in its more pure sense, yeah. you know, so if somebody didn't value that, they're going to be able to not observe this conversation and derive the same amount of emotional affect. I mean, it seems like an obvious statement, mm -hmm. but, and it's not necessarily a value judgment as to their intellect, right. you know, because they have a, a competing value hierarchy within themselves, but the axiomatic claim that all ontologies are steeped in mystery and the way that you penetrate that mystery is through education and the way that you further your education fundamentally is through congruence should retain truth across all meaning-making machines, regardless of our inability to ever maybe hold the epitome of whatever that ontology is, whether that be mathematics or music or cooking or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. So that makes sense. It's interesting because I, I find this so much. I'm sure you do as well. Like words can be so tricky because... It's it's why I love philosophy. It's why I love conversations like this because I'm trying. You try and get to the essence of it. When, when we talk about things like learning or education, we automatically uh, assume or imply that means it's for knowledge. We're trying to do it, but it's not. Right. So I'm with you on that. Is it fair to say then, given like the framework you're laying out, that the ultimate aim of life is to maximize that goodness, maximize that emotional experience that you're having? Because everything we're talking about it to this point is hmm. it allows us to get more of that. Are we comfortable yeah. saying that's the ultimate goal of life? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, uh, but I love the way that you took it. Mm. Um, so my, my, my personal thoughts on this, my long winded thoughts, yeah. right. Is that, you know, e ego, egos and, and I'll bring it all the way. Egos yeah. are linguistic phenomena. And as we learn language as a child and as that mastery and use of language sophisticates, so too does the personality or ego that's connected to that mm. child. Like we can observe this in real time and we can observe this in ourselves too. You know, you, you can't get offended about something that you don't have a linguistic mapping or an understanding of in some regard. And and the other way is true as well. And so you have this linguistic phenomenon, this linguistic scaffolding, if you will, that's constantly pressing and grafting itself onto reality using the uh, structures of different ontologies mm. to um, to understand it. And I think that if you observe that process, anytime that you make a judgment or you make an analysis there are implied metrics of value with which that you are pulling it apart mm. right and so if you're going to use like the ontology of math that might be a first principles approach but if you're going to use the ontology of let's say art it might be like how much emotion it generates mm. i mean I, it's going to change all the time but the idea is is that you're pulling it apart with these metrics of value that your observations are implying um and so a quick little fun soundbite is that you know, in my opinion, whatever conclusions that you draw about reality say a lot more about the way that you're trying to look at it than it does about any objective truth of the situation. And so in that regard, it's much more important to have a good way of approaching things than it is actually your mm -hmm. conclusion, which mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of strange. But, but it's because of what you're saying about mm -hmm. conclusions being necessarily steep. So when it comes to your question of like, you know, the ultimate value, I think that value hierarchy that is implied by those competing metrics of value is going to be different person to person. And I don't, really think that 
because you kind of hit the nail on the head, like linguistically, like what my what good to me and good to you, it's going to have overlap, but it's going to have difference in ways that you and I are not creative enough necessarily to always see. And so when you when you try to make these types of absolute statements about the nature of everyone's value hierarchy, you know, it just it becomes iffy because I just don't. I just recognize how blind I am. Like I know I have a first person seat to me and I know, you know, how complicated that I am. I observe myself go through things all the time and I try to make sense of them. Right. As I'm sure a lot of people do. And so like, you know, if you have that first person seat for you and you understand the nuance and the complexity and the subtlety and and the depth to which that your experience is manifested, you know, I have every belief that even if it is not as linguistically articulate and mapped out as perhaps mine, it, and that's, you know, or more so, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. To, to make a statement about like what their optimal metric of value ought to be, I think oversteps my bounds and it kind of like violates and makes incongruent some of my axioms of mm-hmm. not being able to have, like I don't have a monopoly on truth any more than you do, any more than they do. And, you know, if somebody, like you take some of the mathematicians I admire, like they didn't live what I would call a healthy life. You know, they, they're just out there really in it and finding beauty that way but because they find beauty that way that's what makes that good for them right and they don't necessarily need to understand the beauty of having perhaps a romantic relationship or or you know some of the more normal societally accepted metrics of value um so and but that is the only reason but if we can if we can make this meta word of good of pursuing one's value hierarchy to you know ever distinct it or ever um eloquent ways perhaps is probably the best way to say that then mm-hmm. i would be i would agree simply because i'd like to see somebody come up with a counter argument to right. that right yeah I, well i didn't intend that question to be a test but it ended up being one in which i think you passed in terms of congruency oh thank like, you yeah, so I can do it, right as you're explaining it i see exactly what you mean we're like i can't say that because for all the reasons you said you only see it you're, you have the first person seat only to you so let me let me localize it to you would you say for yeah, sure. you that is what life is about like if somebody were to say what's the meaning of life you would say it's for me to engage the mystery in this way so that i could enjoy more beauty in this world is that a simple you know, yeah that's a great yeah i mean for for all intents and purposes i love that enough to say yes but i'm sure that would change day to day but yeah i think that is probably a, a very core commonality of my life you know because i i i think well, you know, I look around and it seems very counterintuitive that I exist in exactly the form that I do. And I think if I, when I try to remove as much of my projections as I can, which is impossible, but mm-hmm. it, like, when I when I try to get down to the lowest, perhaps meditative or just open state that I, I have the capacity to get to, the raw fact of the order, nuance, and complexity of my being, even if I'm unable to understand it, carries with it immense implications about reality as a whole. And uh, for me, that mystery has been a great teacher, and it's been very, I say, humanly fulfilling. Mm. You know, it's it's it seems like a good teacher for this human form as well, is kind of what I'm saying. Mm. And so I think that, yeah, we should all engage the mystery, however it manifests to us, and instead of cultivating a negative relationship with that, you know, notice just how often the mystery of life or the universe provides for us in effortless creative ways that 
make us happier than any intuition we might have about our own happiness. You know, we don't know what's going to make us happy. We've shown ourselves more or less as a general rule to be pretty shit at it. Mm -hmm. And when you embrace that, you know, now you're no longer trying to impose desires upon reality, but now you're just dancing with whatever the mystery has in store for you today. And that's a much better state for me to be in. I think. Praise dancing with it. All right, let me, let me, let me throw something out. That's um, intentionally like provocative, contrarian, whatever, yeah, yeah, but yeah, also it, somewhat true. So as you're talking about engaging the mystery in that positive way versus the negative way, it, it's it, it, when you put it in those words, right. It now makes me put it through my system and think about things in that way. I, I, there's a part of me that believes like, hmm, have I been like, I have definitely been engaging the mystery, but perhaps I've been engaging it more in the negative way. I've been engaging mm -hmm. it in the way which says like, if we don't understand this at the base level, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, one of Tolstoy's books. Um, I'm going to forget the name of it now, but it's, it's a book where he's kind of grappling with this, where he says like, if, if I don't know why I'm here, you know, what humans are, what the meaning of life is then life's impossible. Like, how could I make any decision? Because I don't have any basis to say, this is this is right, this is wrong, or any of it. And I find myself in that negative way feeling like, yeah, exactly. Like, how can I engage the yeah. mystery positively with that? And what I think your response to it is, I think, and this is kind of the, the provocative point, is like, you're right, you won't understand the mystery. So dance with it in a way in which you kind of just selfishly or or hedonistically say, you have some sense of just what viscerally feels good to you. So dance with the mystery in a way that taps into that and allows that goodness to feel better, which isn't yeah. a bad thing, but there's a, there's this perception of like, Ooh, that feels like it's hedonistic or whatever word you want to use. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that it is, but how's that, what's that do for you? Yeah. 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 So great question again, bro. Um, I would actually turn the intuition on its head a little bit. Okay. So you're, you've never been in control. In my opinion, these are all opinions. You've mm -hmm. never been in control and I've never been in control and nobody's mm -hmm. ever been in control. You know, if we if we can make if we can agree that our sense of who we are is in a sense molded onto us by the energies of the universe, mm -hmm. whether that be in a in a very physical sense, like you know you're born to your parents, or maybe a more metaphysical sense, like you know you you were subjected to these philosophy books, but maybe not these, you know, and so it, it all of that kind of like warps and molds who we believe ourselves to be, and if we can agree that we aren't in control of those certain energies that mold us into who we are then we can perhaps also agree if it's congruent that we aren't in control period mm -hmm. and we I'm never okay. have been. Yeah. And no, it definitely feels like we are like we make decisions and we, and we navigate and all that. And I'm not trying to take away from the, you know, the felt significance of that. And I, and I'm not even saying like throw your hands up in the air, but I think recognizing the extent to which you are a domino line of sorts can liberate you from this idea that the thinking mind has ever been the thing that mm. comes up with the decisions and comes up with the understanding, mm. like, you know, if we watch thoughts, if we watch our, our, our mind, things arise and they fade, right? So it's like, you know, you might have a creative explanation for something arise and then it fades. Or like mm -hmm. you see some phenomena like a cloud and then, you know, you have what you know about clouds arise and then it fades. And it you're not doing that. Or in my, in my opinion, we're not the ones that are doing that. There is a deeper intelligence. And we can observe it even in the context of this conversation, you know? Like, it's not like I thought of an answer like all of these words that I've been saying ever since the end of your question, it's more that those words are flowing Probably. through me. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then you're the same. Like, you know, if you are present with the conversation and it's enthralling enough and it's and right now is good enough to be happy, right now is good enough mm -hmm. to be present, which, you know, in this case of a good conversation, it seems to be, then you're, the intelligence that's using you as a conduit, so to speak, is not a cognitive intelligence the way that 
your question seems to imply this. Like mm -hmm. your question seems to imply there's this meta guy sitting at all the levers, making the decisions as to what words are said and how it's understood and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I would say that you're right. You're never going to understand, right? But the idea that that's going to stop you from intuitive and intellectual and, and beautiful movement throughout the world, you said life is impossible, mm -hmm. I think is somewhat faulty. I think, you know, we can observe within ourselves ways in which we navigate intelligently without cognitively approving it all the time. Mm. And I think when you lean into that intelligence more and more, which can be unnerving, especially for the more cognitive yes. types, yes. Um, you find that it's much smarter than you are across so many metrics. Oof. You're saying some things, Jake. So I, I, I love this. This is, this is where I want to be in this conversation because I think, You've been asking and, and I'll just question. say this candidly, I'm not saying this proudly, just let's explore this. I think as you say that, where I struggle is I, I don't want to surrender to something else, like something in that. And I don't know that I can say why, maybe we figured out in this conversation, but that idea of saying like, there is an intelligence out there beyond us. It's not me kind of working through it. it there, there's a freedom and a liberation in that. I, I feel that as well, but there's also like a fear of like, mm. but if I don't have that, then what the fuck am I? Like, what am I actually, am I just here for the ride? Like, what does yeah. that mean for me and for yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have you ever, so there's a, a kind of a fringe idea and like, you know, I don't know how like religious you want to get. I'm not really a religious person. Wherever I love, is. I love a lot of the structure of Taoism and Buddhism, mm -hmm. but you know, I think that if you're going to use any religious template for your spirituality, you're necessarily going to be limited because it's such a personal mm -hmm. thing. Um, but, um, oh, I'm sorry. So you just made that question. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have it. Um, in terms of like being scared. Yeah. You've never had it. You know, and I think that for me, because I was so much the same way, I was so much the same way, uh, you know, up until about the point I was like 22 or three, something like that. Um, I learned with a fever because of this unarticulated but subconscious drive that like if I just understood everything, like eventually I'll be able to, you know, navigate perfectly and always be in ease and zen. And, you know, regardless of the fact that that is an impossible goal, I felt that. You know, and so that 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 deep inner drive of like, I got to feed the cognitive mind because the cognitive mind will lead me to, you know, wherever my objectives end up being is a very understandable intuition to adopt. And if you have the mind that is capable of holding abstractions and playing with abstractions in a non-exhausting way, because a lot of people have a short fuse for that type of stuff, mm -hmm. then it seems like a um, an intelligent way forward. And, you know, I couldn't drop that. I, I took uh, ayahuasca. I've, I've taken ayahuasca a bunch of times and I really highly recommend it if anybody feels the call. But for me, what it did is it reorganized all of this understanding into an undeniably spiritual metric, which in turn released me from the conviction or the constriction of like wanting to cognitively dominate my experience. Um by by and you know, for me, it it just helped show me that A, it's an impossible goal, B the mystery is like, I wouldn't want to, because I love learning mm. and I wouldn't want to give that. Like, if I know everything, I'm not going to learn anymore. And I, I guess, yeah, fundamentally it, it showed me the beauty in seemingly negative things. You know, mm. like if, if you don't get ignorance, you don't get learning, mm. right? So embrace ignorance because you embrace learning. It's, you know, you, you kind of mm. look at it that mm. way. And like, and, you know, if you don't get pain, then your ability to provide empathy or to experience empathy is severely limited. You can only really extend empathy to the extent and to the depth to which you are willing to uh, explore your own sets of pain. Yeah. And there's a whole list of these. 
that you could go through of a seemingly negative object that provides the stage or the platform, if you will, for a further sophisticated positive experience. And when you look at that phenomena under the whole umbrella of the mystery and how the mystery is constantly providing you, you know, seemingly negative things that lead to deeper sophisticated experiences that you perhaps, and I'll speak for me, I would have never had the creativity or intuition to go that way. And instead, just watching how the mystery provides that for you again and again and again and again and again, which is, again, a form of embracing that you don't know what's going to make you happy, releases you from that cognitive constriction of being like, oh, I got to learn it all. Because it just shows you, A, you've never been that in the first place. B, you wouldn't do a good job even if you did have that power. And C, you know, the co-creative elements of the universe that are providing you the sets of experiences that you get to learn and grow from is doing a more creative job, a better job and a more responsible job than I think anybody would ever imagine they could do for themselves. Yeah. I mean, if you really look at that phenomenon. So the cognitive piece of it, there's definitely a real piece of it, of, of you know, the logical cognitive mind and trying to make sense of it. But if I push deeper than that, at least for myself, I think it's, I don't think it's as much about like, I want to control or understand the world and I want to know all the answers. I think I can accept I cannot know that I don't control the world. I never controlled the world. I never even controlled myself in many ways. Um, and I'll never know all these answers. What I think gets me caught up is the fear of that liberation and that freedom of accepting that is, let me see if I can put the words together to say this right. Like the, the, the accountability and response, like what, what I fear is, is hurting somebody else. And part mm -hmm. of the reason to try and understand the world better, to try and understand what's the right value to have, to try and understand, um, what am I meant to be doing here? What's good? What's bad is I don't want to cause suffering on another human being that I, that doesn't need to feel it. And there's always this fear and that freedom, that liberation, that letting go to say, you know what, there's some other intelligence here that's really driving this. I'm just here for the ride. In some ways, it's like fucking awesome. Yeah, get me on that bus because then I don't have to worry about it. But then it's like, but what if that's just my ego or my laziness or whatever being like, well, now I don't have to worry anymore. Now I don't have to check yeah. myself. Now I don't have to worry. And maybe I cause unthinkable suffering or harm in the world because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Do you, you have great questions. No, it's like conversation. A, do you like Ram Dass? What, say it again? You like Ram Dass? I, I'm familiar with him. I haven't like dug, okay. dug deep into him. Oh, good. You don't I, need what to, I've read, I like. Yeah. yeah. So he, he talks about, I think, I think it's him. I could be wrong, but he talks about equanimity. Okay. So he talks about how, like, if you choose to extend yourself into empathy, whether for others, for yourself, et cetera. And, and this is going to sound, seem very Buddhist. You know, you're just going to find a lot of suffering hmm. to exist in a sense carries with it a lot of suffering. And I have you know reasons why I think that's true. I can't like derive it or prove it. But on the other side, existence is this perfect, dynamic, ever creative miracle. Hmm. <clears throat> and to be in equanimity is to equally engage in both. So you say that, you know, you don't want to allow your hands off the wheel to lead to a lack of responsibility in a way for the care of yourself and the care for others. Uh, I, I would I would I would challenge yeah. you to take your hand off the wheel and and tr and to observe if you actually stop or not. Mm. Because mm. I don't think you're gonna stop. Mm. And because you've never been you that's driving that in the first place. So this idea that you're holding that wheel on that you know curve, so to speak, is kind of a false intuition because mm. there's elements of you that are driving you to engage with reality that way that, you know, also sounds somewhat Buddhist, you know, the, the limitations of suffering. Um, 
that are are part of that deeper intelligence to begin with that you're letting the wheel off of the constrict because the constriction only is an egoic phenomenon like you know you say you don't want to cause suffering right and so that as a a prod if you will into understanding more things but if if you are in a sense bullying yourself into learning that way then you are in a sense in some regard causing yourself suffering by having a lot of resistance and just slowly releasing it as you feel like you learn more but you're never actually going to fully release it right and so you know you also deserve that empathy that you're seeking to extend to others when it comes yeah. to limiting suffering which if you're limiting suffering through the metric of learning then having a good you know foundational relationship with learning that isn't negativity driven like, oh, I don't want to fuck it up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably the first way that you can extend empathy in your expressed goal of making sure that you limit the suffering of yourself and others in reality. What, what about, what about, so there's a trust, right? There's a faith is probably the word in it, in that intelligence, right? That greater intelligence in some ways. Yeah. To take your yeah. hand off the wheel, which is never there, right? In, in many ways, as you're saying it, is to say, I trust that greater intelligence that it's going to figure it out, right? Almost, almost to where you are that, you know, the two sides of the coin where there is suffering in the world, but it's also this perfect existence. There's trust in that. Like, and, and where I, where I think I struggle is, and I, and I get the flaw in this thinking is what, what basis do I have to trust that greater intelligence? And that seems like a weird question, right? No, but it's like, a great question. In my very cognitive, yeah. logical driven mind. It's like, okay, I'll trust it. Just give me some evidence. Yeah. Give me some proof that I can. And if I can't, yeah. then I can't yeah. let go of that wheel because how can I trust it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's why we engage the mystery because the more you engage the mystery, the more you realize that reality, the universe, the mystery, the unknown, 99.999999 times out of 100 is giving you just gold. You know, whether it be this conversation or a great meal or you get to hang out with like your friends or whatever. And yeah, sometimes it pulls you back a little bit and says, hey, you got to you know deal with this tax problem or whatever. But a lot of the time, you know, that seemingly negative thing, like you break your leg, but you run into your, your old friend at the hospital, you know, you like you, you miss the bus and then work calls you and says, you don't have to come in today. You know, those types of seemingly negative things do lead to a lot of positive things. And so when you engage the mystery, what you're doing, because you have, because what I'm basically giving you is I'm giving you a linguistic, like cognitive framework, mm -hmm. right? But then you have to take that framework and sit with it and then allow emotional evidence to accrue yeah. of its validity. And once you have both of those aspects, you have the cognitive understanding and the emotional feeling of truth behind that cognitive understanding, that's when it's integrated, right? And so, you know, you want to have that faith in the universe, right? And I would argue that, you know, by opening our eyes, by removing our projections as best we can and observing just how often the universe is exquisite and, and, and caring and loving and, and nurturing for all of us, right? For, just observe the life that you live. Um, you accrue that emotional evidence that helps you eventually integrate that idea, that cognitive idea that when you let the hand off the wheel, you're letting it off into a, a nurturing source. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we could go a lot of places with this, but what, what about the people where it's not exquisite, right? Like you and I are having this conversation. I don't know your sure. life yeah, story. I'm sure question. you've had suffering right. in your life, but yeah. we're somewhat privileged to even be sitting here and talking about this. There's yeah, some yeah, yeah. people that are suffering, right? Like it, this is the thing I think about often, right? Almost certainly at this moment right now, there's a child being abused. There's somebody being raped, somebody being tortured, somebody being murdered. Then you just go through history and look at all the ways, right? Yeah. And even when we look at it through the lens of like, well, suffering leads to something better. There, there's, this is horrible, but it's true, right? There, there's a five-year-old somewhere who's been abused their whole entire life. And then they're going to get their head smashed in by their dad because he's a drunk, abusive father. And seemingly in that five-year-old's life, there was nothing positive and good in it. So yes. like, 
there's people that could be listening and be like, I don't know what you're talking about when you say the universe is exquisite and there's gold there. All I see is shit and suffering. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in my book, I use a rather potent example. You actually touched on it. I talk about, and this is going to seem a little aggressive, but you'll see why. Like, are rape victims precluded from being happy? Mm. Like, if you become, if you get raped, are you now not allowed to experience peace and happiness? Or does the proof of concept exist of somebody who's been able to integrate beauty into that exist? Mm. And I, I would say that more of the latter. Now, this is going to seem very controversial, but I think it's a very effective argument. I firmly believe, because of our subjective blindness, that we find what we look for. If you orient your perspective and you ask yourself, why is right now not good enough to be happy? You will find plenty of reasons, ever creative reasons, what, uh, evidence of that truth. And the same is true if you invert the question, why is right now good enough to be happy? So then we get to the example of your of the kid. You know, I, I don't have the creativity nor the inti uh, intimacy to explain how beauty could derive from that. I don't, right? But just as I don't have the creativity and intimacy to explain why rape victims are not precluded from being happy mm. um you know i i necessarily as a lack of experience have to exist in a more abstract world when i answer that type of question mm. and i think that the conclusions that that kid draws or that the rape victim draws or that you and i draw say a lot more about the way that we're seeking to understand a situation than it does any objective truth of that situation i think trauma manifests period you can be born into privilege and you'll have tons of types of trauma that you know probably don't have words in other languages, like a lot of um, third world and like um, like native cultures, they don't have words for things like depression and anxiety, mm. right? Which is just a different type of a trauma. And so I think that trauma manifests in this in this plane of being. And it's, I, and I have, you know, I, I see you say like spiritual reasons for why I think it manifests. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that it seems to manifest and it seems to manifest indiscriminately. Mm. It may take different forms and society may say this form is worse than that form, mm -hmm. right? But at the end of the day, it's all just subjective resistance. Mm. And if you understand that subjective resistance is a byproduct of your projections, like for example, like let's say you became so good at meditating that you just sat under a tree and starved to death, right? But you totally embrace that concept. You would be so lucky. You know, it's like we, we, we in the West a lot, we will take a concept and we'll bend it till it breaks, you know, the rape victim for example, mm -hmm. I'll say like, where's the beauty in that? And <clears throat> that's an effective way of, of thinking a lot of the time. But in a sense, you throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you if you observe within yourself that the conclusions that you draw are much more a byproduct of your perspective than they are some objective truth. Yes. Then you can take that same logic to the kid. Like mm -hmm. the kid, that kid has a set of relativities that have been dealt to him, and you know. Even if his happiest point in his life is lower than my worst point in his life, his bell curve is a bell curve, just like my bell curve is a bell curve. And so, you know, the extent to which that he or, or whoever leans into my life is awesome or my life is shit is a byproduct of the perspective that they're employing. Yeah. And you could come back to me and you could say, well, Jake, isn't he part of a dominant line? And you're damn right he is. Mm -hmm. I don't say, I don't think that people that in a sense are asleep to how much their own perspectives play the main role in their suffering. They didn't choose that, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because who would, right? And <clears throat> in that regard, I see truth to what you're saying. But I don't think that that example of a seemingly 
unenlightened existence. And I don't mean enlightened in a spiritual yeah, sense. Yeah, like yeah, it. I know what you mean. Yeah. It, it doesn't negate the first principle. It doesn't contradict. Courage. Right. There's exactly. not a contradiction in it. And that's what right. I think, that's what I think gets me the most. Because it, ironically, we're talking about a lot of things here, but some of it is the mystery, is is the universe. There's a spirituality component to it. What you're saying logically makes perfect sense to me that 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 as awful as it sounds right that that five-year-old who experienced that there's no way for us to know that that we should be like horrified by that or that does mean the universe or 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 life is is ugly and dark and gross it's both yeah right Right, exactly so it's 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 embracing that it logically that makes sense there's a part of me which i can acknowledge is likely from my upbringing is likely ego if we want to use that word or whatever that does not want to accept and acknowledge being, and, and this is weird, right? This is where words fail. So, so help me with this. And I know this isn't what you're saying, but like in some ways we're saying you have to be okay with what happened to that five-year-old. It shouldn't devastate you. It shouldn't destroy you and feel like I can't believe that happened. And there's does it a part of me the five-year-old that you, to be destroyed. Say it again. Does it benefit the five-year-old for you to be destroyed? Does it benefit the five-year-old? I think, well, good question. So let me, let me answer that. And I'm not saying it's right, but does it benefit that five-year-old? No. But I think I have an assumption that it benefits humanity for us to be devastated by what happened mm-hmm. to that five-year-old. Mm-hmm. If we become, and I know you're not saying this, but if we become numb to that, that terrifies me. And that's what yeah. I that's what I worry about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that numbness is an interesting word mm-hmm. because from the way that I view the practice of engaging the mystery and and supplementing and enhancing that with education it's the opposite of numbing mm. you're 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 bringing it more into focus more into clarity mm. more into understanding and it's not a virtue signal well it is a virtue signal but it's like recognize the role that your pain plays mm. right so it's like if you want to hold that pain as a form of signaling to society in general, which I'm not saying is necessarily a bad yep, thing, yep. that I'm against, you know, this five-year-old's existence and I want to change it, et cetera. You know, just because that you're holding more emotion in that state, right? <clears throat> if you if you want to be effective, you can't be destroyed by that emotion. So you need a way of balancing that emotion. Mm. And the way that you balance that emotion is by leaning into the infinite creativity, the infinite divinity of form and being, mm. which is a more spiritual sense and that's not necessarily easy to do because it requires both a cognitive understanding and an emotional supplementation of that understanding but once you build those things you have to lean both ways like you have to lean into the perfection to the same extent that you're leaning into the empathy otherwise you become extremely ineffective on both regards right because if you just allow yourself the empathy and you don't allow yourself the perfection then you become a crippled echo chamber Mm -hmm. of pain that you are resting in as well as the five-year-old is resting in mm-hmm. and that you don't have an effective way to help either party. You don't have a way to effectively address their own suffering that you are empathetically generating yes. for the five-year-old. And because that you can't even get over that, you have no way of, of helping the other, the, the five-year-old. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, you, the numbing <clears throat> word, I think is just the only word I would disagree with because, and to me, this practice is the opposite of numbing. It, it is an extension of, mm. you know, your, your cognitive or your linguistic scaffolding as deeply as you can into, into both regards. And, mm. you know, I say a lot in my fund, like solutions are easy. Becoming intimate with a problem is hard. Mm. 
So the more intimate that you can become with that problem, the more effective that you become at helping the five-year-old in the first place, which mm -hmm. to me is a better signal of virtue yes. than being eaten alive by the fact that suffering manifests in this plane. Yes, yes, yes. It's, um, I used the word ego before and, and, and you're making me feel like that's the right word because I can't help but think exactly as you're saying it, like my aversion to it, my, my being destroyed by it is my ego being like, that's too in the way you're thinking about it right now, it's too horrible for you to accept or understand. So you have to kind of signal in this way. You have to embrace it in this way. And it's it's getting to that, it's strip the ego away, strip it all away and just look at it for what it is. And it's my ego that looks at that five-year-old happening like that and says horrible. Right. And it's not that it's not true. There is a horrible aspect to it, right. obviously. But if you go a layer deeper, you see both sides of it. And I get that. I get that logically. The, the question I've asked some people lately is, and I think I know the answer to yours, so I'm less interested in the direct answer, but more of what, how you support it. When I, when I think about this and I go to a, to a darker place and I start thinking about it, I, sometimes I think of it and I say, you know, if, if I was God, if I was God right now, and let's, you or I were God right now, and we had a decision to make, let's assume there is a God that controls the universe and the ability to say, you know what, I'm just going to turn it off. I'm going to turn it all off because I look at it and I see the suffering of that five-year-old or whoever else, right? We can give countless examples. And, and I don't think this thing's working. I think the negative outweighs the positive. Therefore, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it off. It sounds like in what you're saying, you would say, dude, no, I'm never going to turn this off. It's, it's even, is that how you see it? It's completely even and it's mm -hmm. worth keeping it on. So inside of Buddhism, you have this idea of pure land Buddhism, and then you have what I could just call normal Buddhism. Normal Buddhists would say nirvana, turn it off. Pure land Buddhists say no, samsara or form has beauty to it. And yeah, it, ha it has it has ugly to it, but the beauty is worth the ugly, so to mm. speak, or the at least they're equal. And so to be attached to, to turning it off is the wrong answer. And those are, those are two different types of schools of thought that are very connected to the mm. question that you're having. When it comes to me, I think that I think I'm more in the pure land boat because so, so the book that I'm it's currently with my editor that I wrote it's called The Art of Suffering and it's about suffering obviously and Great it's time. about thank you it's about um well the, the subtitle is it's a guide to deriving beauty from life's inevitable pain mm -hmm. and if you can practice the art of suffering the extent to which that you change your relationship with 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 suffering and the extent to which you lean into the idea of more of a pure land like you know keep the form is it, proportional it's like two different sides of the same coin um and so if you can within yourself i mean you know five the five-year-old kid is an extension of self mm -hmm. right you understand that kid yes, you understand because I, everything yes. Yes. and so if you can look at self at your own suffering and find ways to embrace it on both the cognitive, but then also the emotional front, mm -hmm. the idea of what suffering is changes. And mm. because now it's no longer an object of resistance, but it's now it's contrast. Like, you know, you can't write a symphony with all ascending notes. And this is a form of that. Like mass extinction events are, are typically considered bad, mm -hmm. right? But mass extinction events formed us and we would consider us good. And so a Buddhist concept that truth is empty or that, you know, whatever conclusions you draw mm -hmm. is more a byproduct mm -hmm. of the way that you look at it, um, I think can be applied to the idea of turn it off. Mm. Like if you want to come to the conclusion of turn it off, I think that says a lot. And and, and similar to me, of, of, yeah. of keep it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
says a lot more about the way that you're seeking to understand the situation. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, yeah, for me, it's I'm such, more your There's such beautiful answers. And I don't say that for her purple to kiss your ass. And I don't even say it in I like just that. Like Thank you. the nice way. I say it beautiful because not only are they eloquent and, and thoughtful, but they they continue the conversation in a way that lets us to explore it. And I hope you understand. I think you do. Like when I'm asking these questions, it's because I like so much what you're saying. I have so much value for you right now. So let me let me take it even one step further, right? Because again, I understand it. Let's make it personal. And I think this is where it hits me. Let's let's say in this hypothetical we're speaking about the mother of that five-year-old jumped on this Zoom right now and was just devastated and distraught because her baby, her <clears> child, <throat> horrific suffering and death to it. Can we look her in the face and say, like, what we're saying here? Is it is it something where conceptually we're very comfortable? But what happens when it's real, when we're in the face of that suffering and we see I it? I prefer it. Yeah? Yeah, so, you know, it takes a lot for somebody to want to talk about things like death or, or like suffering, et cetera. Um, but that is also when it's most effective to do so. Mm. Like, you know, if somebody gets a, like a cancer diagnosis, for mm. example, and say, all right, you got four weeks and it's like, there's nothing that can be done. And, you know, you believe it. Um, that re-puts a lot of existential questions mm. on your plate and it gives you the motivation. Now it's a spurned motivation, unfortunately, but it still gives you the motivation to perhaps look at that. A lot of people spend their lives distracting themselves from existential questions. Mm -hmm. So if this mother was to join, I would I would very much welcome that. You know, I would probably ask her if she wanted the recording to be turned off. But fair enough. I, I would prefer I would prefer to talk to her about that because she has the motivation to explore. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of first principles thinking is that it doesn't matter my lack of intimacy here. If my first principles are accurate and they necessarily describe and articulate her experience which maybe they don't, but that's where, that's where the incongruence is. Mm -hmm. And that's where we want to zone into and talk mm -hmm. about um, because of that necessity. Like, you know, she is employing a perspective and the reality is reflecting that back to her. And it doesn't necessarily benefit her or her child to hold on to excessively negative or crippling ideologies, perspectives, et cetera. To stomach the fact that suffering exists should be enough like if mm. suffering exists and just like you if in your value hierarchy is the idea that you want to limit suffering or limit needless suffering mm. then skillful behavior is, is a necessity for that objective and skillful behavior mm. is only effective if you can hold both ends at once because energy is extremely infectious mm -hmm. like if i came in here all negative it would it would infect you mm. now you may be able to drop it easily but it would still infect you similar to the mother and her child. It doesn't necessarily benefit the child for the mother to carry this woe is you energy, right? Like that child's gonna have an experience regardless of, the, of what the mom does. And if the mom can bring a higher energetic template to that child in terms of offering, you know, more beautiful perspectives on how to observe his seemingly very negative life, for example, which a lot of religion tries to do, mm -hmm. you know, some effective, some not. Totally, yeah. <clears throat> That's more beneficial for her expressed for her seeming goals in the first place of resisting this type of first principles thinking about suffering, uh, you know, from the get go. Yeah, it's right. I you definitely prefer it. It's like um, you said that you, you could you could substitute in Christianity in this and God has a plan mm -hmm. in much of what we're saying. I know it's not exactly the same, but there's remnants of it. Right. I think the yeah, essence right. of a lot of these religions is trying to get at right, very much exactly. this point. 
And I think it gets back to the turn it off point because I, I could, if, if I try and play the part of that mother or whatever, just we're all one right in that way. So just that's where the question comes down to, I think you're right where you're totally right that it is much more beneficial however we want to define that to to lean into it to 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 find where it's incongruent to understand it to to do something more effective with that suffering which to do that you need to be able to not be devastated and destroyed by it all of that is true does it presuppose though that there is a greater good which again religious overtones to it of figuring it out moving forward helping like what would be better for that mother? What would be better for everybody is if she isn't destroyed by it and she moves forward. The turn it off concept says, I don't, nothing's bad. Like no, no living thing should ever have to suffer with that five-year-old suffered. And if you're telling me there's something better on the other end, bullshit. There's not like, we have gotten it twisted. If we believe something justifies that level of suffering. Now, again, I'm saying that for effect because I think it helps us to explore it. I think logically you've made the point that counters that. It's that emotional sense that I could hear people that I know in my life saying that same thing. Like, I don't care what greater good comes from it. That should never happen. And that's where I think people struggle with this concept. Like they can get it conceptually, they can understand it. But when real life hits, it just crumbles for that reason. Yeah. I think it takes... If somebody wants to see truth in something they will yes right and that's beautiful if you recognize that that is employable if you are asleep to that then you are a slave to your own perspectives yes Yes. you know now you don't get to choose necessarily what resonates and what doesn't right like you know if i said one plus one is five and you're just like look i'm just not emotionally resonating with that like you know regardless of all the logic Mm -hmm. or whatever then it's just not you know you're not and that's kind of the picture that you're painting saying you know you bring this idea about suffering and the art of suffering to the table and somebody else says look i'm just not willing to see truth in that mm-hmm. right i don't think that there is any argument that exists emotional cognitive or otherwise that will checkmate that individual into seeing truth in it. it's is, a decision is it, that they have to make is it and well keep going well and when it comes to making that decision Similar to, uh, again, the mystery thing. I, I, I'm sorry if I'm talking in circles, but, you know, they're seeking, they, like, their perspective is something that they are projecting, right? And so you can either be blinded by that and say, no, it's objective truth, or you can be humbled and say, okay, it is it is subjective, and perhaps, you know, the way that I'm seeking to understand this is playing a large role in what I am understanding, right? And so if you can perhaps, you know, maybe use the logical argument of trying to show that even if objective truth exists, you'll never know it. Mm-hmm. And and so valuing <clears throat> the idea that there are other ways of being, other ways of understanding that lead to perhaps different conclusions. Mm. You know, for me, that's a self-liberating lore. Like if you're willing to explore that, then you're willing to liberate yourself from the bondage of your own seemingly negative perspective, which is something I want for everybody, including the people that are determined to not see truth in the art of suffering. Yes, yes. You know, so I think that you just have to have empathy for their domino line, mm-hmm. embrace that. You know, if they could, if they if if they could make, if it was as easy of a decision of you know, employ the art of suffering or not, that they, they would do that. You know, and then perhaps that's a projection of mine, but it's like to me that's an easy decision. But I respect more and like more 
their right is a strange word, but their right to make a wrong decision because it's that type of creativity that leads to more and more and more and more and more seemingly sophisticated positive experience. Mm. Like kind of like the, the ignorance versus discovery thing. Like mm -hmm. without that form of ignorance, right? Whatever they discover wouldn't be allowed. Mm. And I think that because none of us have a monopoly on truth, you know, I'm not seeking to blow out their candle, so to speak, with my candle, right? But I am seeking to offer just perspectives and questions that may help them see the way that you know they are projecting mm -hmm. you hit it i mean you, you you went you said you apologize for going back in circles but i was going to do the same thing when i almost cut you off there so it worked out beautifully because i was going to you said I, I don't know that there's an argument that can convince them otherwise but i think you just laid out perhaps the best one if we can all accept where you started at the beginning of this which is we're all inherently blind we all right. every belief we have every view we have we cannot source it back to a root we cannot source it back to something to say, I know with objective certainty that belief is the right belief or a good belief or something I should believe. It could be based on an infinite number of factors, whether they be genetic, societal, mm -hmm. how we yeah. were raised. I mean, just on and on and on. So even that sensation, which for me personally, I could channel that of what happened to that five-year-old. I never want to accept that. I may have that feeling and that feeling is 100% real to me that I refuse to accept it, but I can still on a detached level at a meta level, look at that and say, but that feeling is sourced in nothing. That feeling, I have no idea why I feel that or where it came from, or if it was implanted into me in some way by some experience or what have you. And just that little bit of just acknowledgement of that, I think allows you to engage the mystery the way that you're talking about and say, yeah. huh, yeah. now I can do that in a more effective way. And that's, I think, puts a beautiful full circle on where you started on this and what it what it means and how it actually plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Sorry, I'm just trying to. So yeah, I think that like you could you could come back and you could say, well, you have to you have to grab you have to start building from somewhere, okay. and I would I would agree where I try to get people to start building from is, is, is almost like a Cartesian argument. Like you are having an experience. We may not be able to make many claims about it, right? Like I can think there's a table here and I can think I'm talking to Tan, right? Mm -hmm. But, but the, if we, if we just start at there is form and it's counterintuitive because it seems more intuitive for formlessness to be. Like, you know, there's much more ways for not Terrence to be mm -hmm. than for mm -hmm. Terrence to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Terrence seemingly is. Right. And so you have that seeming observation of like, oh, like I exist. And that's kind of strange. Uh, you know, and that's what I call form because it's a, it's a, it's one way in which form could be. And uh, if you'll indulge me a little philosophical thought experiment. Always. You know, that form is painted against, if you will, a formlessness. Right, because because those that, that has that's what how the concept comes together. Like there is this form, which and if that feels a little counterintuitive or mysterious, it's because it would seem more intuitive for a formlessness or a not Terence to to be in the place of where form seems to be. And so you know, as terms of like objectively true statements, that's like probably one of the closest that maybe I could make. Mm -hmm. But if you sit with that, tons of implications to that, right? Because your incarnation 
implies other incarnations. Like you could have been Terrence, but female. You could have been Terrence, but you know, Indian. You could have uh -huh. been Terrence, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And that permutative ability of that is implied by your experience, right? I think when you stretch that to its end without making statements that maybe we couldn't prove, I feel like any experience implies all experience. Hmm. Like you can't have independent juxtapositions, if you will, because that is a contradiction. Like you can't like, like formlessness is what it intuitively might be because form in some abstract sense defines it. Hmm. Otherwise it couldn't be formless. So your experience of form, right? In, to me, opinion, implies all form. And all form is what formlessness needs to be what it is. Because it, the idea of a void, like, you know, like any, any form of justice, like if something was an attribute, I'm already going to fuck this up, but if something was an attribute that was everywhere all the time, which is already two juxtapositions, because then it's, I, see, I can't even, you Nothing, can't even yeah, describe yeah. something yeah, yeah, that is free of this concept. And that formlessness is is necessarily in that. Mm. And so the idea that my experience implies all experience, including that five-year-old's, is not something I'm creative enough to act like I understand. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody understands in the, in the human way that we use that word, what it means to have one implying all experience. You know, like I couldn't explain why I find myself to be exactly here talking to exactly like this is a very specific form of experience. And I make no claims as to being able to explain like what's driving that. Right. right. But, I, but I can make claims that my experience seems to imply all experience. And in that regard, that five year old that gets like, you know, the five year old mm -hmm. and the suffering is necessarily within that form. And if you're going to see beauty in form, regardless of contents mm -hmm. of form as a spiritual practice or something to anchor on to, to then build from, I think that's a very solid foundation because it's mm. got a lot of self-evidence moment to moment. Mm. So I'll say this, Jake, as, my sense is you and I could probably go for days on this and yeah, we should. Really I, I, I would now. love to do this, but I'll, I'll say this as, as maybe as I wrap and then I'll give you the last word. What I'm so encouraged by in doing this show, and I've, I've done almost 200 of these now is- That's awesome. It, it's been great. And one of the biggest takeaways has been this like merging, if you will, I don't know, whatever the word is of like some of the, some of the phrases you've said throughout this conversation or phrases, I'll just be honest with myself that 10 years ago, I would have heard and been like, Oh, Jake's a fucking hippie yeah, and he's crazy. Yeah. And like, this is nonsense, right? We're all connected. We're all one. Right. But what's encouraged me so much is like, those phrases are still there, but they're, they're so thoughtful and there's such depth to it. Maybe they've always been there and I just didn't hear it. But like now I feel like the world is more accepting and understanding like, that's not yeah. just woo-woo stuff. Like there is logic, there is science, there is also, it's everything is in this. And the more people that do that, and I think this conversation may be as good as any I've had, like exemplifies that. It shows that. And like, that's to me is wisdom. The ability chills, to do that. Yeah, dude, you've been giving me that through the conversation. So, <laughs> um, so that's good. I'm glad I could return some, but that's, yeah. it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful to go back to that word. And I, I appreciate well, thank it you. a ton. Yeah, for thank you. I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, as time moves, as time moves forward, people are seemingly much more open to the idea that the the material and quantitative explanations 
for form have a necessary boundary that doesn't have to stop our exploration of form you know like conversations have energy right emotions exist you know like these are things that if you are just a tad bit humble you can be like yeah well they do and that invites further ontologies mm. preferably with the metric of congruence being the most the metric of value um to explore those different manifestations of form that are equally true and real and so i completely agree with you that more people are finding the utility of this type of thought which you know if i can project for me the utility of this is that you end in a spiritual place and that spiritual place changes your relationship with suffering which again if you if you employ a little bit of humility and you recognize that you're probably not done suffering like you're probably going to suffer at some point in the future there's probably going to be things that you resist in the future then having a preemptive strategy with a solid foundation of what do we do about that problem what do we do about that um is a really valuable thing and that's the value of these types of conversations you know it, it realigns people to a more spiritual and uh, affluent creative sense of, of form and that's incredibly almost inexplicably valuable yes yes i mean beautifully said beautiful said and and a perfect way to wrap it jake i i, I thank you a ton as i mentioned you know the links and and, and all that to stuff you got the book coming out i know so i hope people check it out um yeah i mean it's not ready yet but i hope i hope they when it comes <laughs> i know i'll I'll, yeah. I'll check it out um I thank you, man. This is an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank, you. thank you. I've had so much fun talking to you. I me very too. much look forward to talking to you in the future. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Have an awesome rest of your day. Yeah, you too, bro. Uh, hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their tone out a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day, um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses, or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom. Um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.